Appreciate it. Had a good afternoon crew. It was wonderful. And it wasn't because of the cookies, because this time of year people don't come for cookies to get them everywhere else, but we did have cookies. They were good. We had a pretty good turnout, and it was a blessing. I'll share more during our prayer request time at the end, but I uh, just want to let you know that, that we sent out a, a prayer on the prayer chain that Eddie's doing much better. Uh, he went through a time where just miserable. His headaches were just really, really splitting once again, and um, not uh, just, just really under the weather. And... Uh, Edie called, we put on the prayer chain, she said 20 minutes later, the headache went away. She said it was, it was phenomenal, so praise the Lord, so thank you for your prayers, I appreciate that. He has a, a uh, pulmonary test this Friday, it's pretty significant, so be praying for that. We are in the book of Genesis, and uh, we are in chapter number 3, and I'll begin reading in verse number 4 this evening, and had a good, uh, good feedback this afternoon, so we'll see if you, uh, you match their feedback on some of these topics. It's amazing to me the principles that God lays out in the book of Genesis. So many of life's problems and questions have their roots answered in the book of Genesis. Let me read for you verses 4 and 5 of chapter 3, then I'll pray, and then we'll get into the lesson. Chapter 3, verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for loving us so much, and thank you again for this wonderful season. Lord, I thank you for Christmas, and I thank you for the opportunity to remember your incarnation. I'd ask you, Lord, that you might meet with us tonight, afresh. Spirit of God, would you quicken our minds? I pray, Lord, that you might help us to understand what you'd have for us in this most amazing book, and we'll thank you for it, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to start there in letter D, <clears throat> and the blank is consequences. Sins, consequences. There, letter D. Verse 6 reads, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit, took the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And as I was studying through this, I asked myself the question, why did she share the fruit with her husband? What was the motivation in her heart that caused her to do this? And I went kind of a, a slanted way in my thinking, and so it's two, two sides of the coin, but uh, let, me, let me give you the thoughts I had, and then we'll, uh, we'll get your ideas. But the first one... Number one is loneliness. Why did she give her husband the fruit? And the first idea I had was loneliness. As soon as Eve ate the forbidden fruit, she began trying to coax her husband into eating it as well. Perhaps she enjoyed the experience so much she wanted to share it with her love. Or, perhaps, now that she had been bitten by sin, her newly fallen nature became willing to draw Adam into sin with her. If she were going to suffer, she was not going to do it alone. Her selfless, holy nature had died. Eve's righteous spirit died when she sinned. In James 1.15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. God had told Adam, he said, you can have any fruit of the trees, any of them, 
any trees out here except for one. There's only one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else you can have. Now, if you eat that one, you're going to die. But everything else here you can, you can have no problem. When sin entered into the world, when Eve sinned, something in her died. Now, we're not going to go into the theology behind it necessarily tonight, but I believe her spirit died at that moment. And she was radically changed. Just from that one little thing, she was radically changed. Sinners often find satisfaction from encouraging others to participate in their sin. Proverbs tells us in chapter 4 and verse 14 and following, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, pass away. For they sleep not, except they have done mischief, and their sleep is taken away, unless they cause some to fall. So he says the wicked, they're not going to do it alone. The wicked want to bring other people into their sin. They don't want to be sinning alone. They want to make sure that others participate in their sin. So the first thought I had, reason that she included her husband in this, was loneliness. Second is a digression. In 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. A digression. Letter A, she first saw the forbidden tree was good. It was good. She saw it was good. So as she saw it, it appealed to the lust of the flesh. For the word saw here is a word that is not just means glance. It doesn't mean just looking around and just glancing. It means to gaze upon. To gaze upon. She gazed upon the forbidden fruit. As the serpent brought, his atten brought her attention to this. Eve, yea, hath God said, look at this beautiful fruit tree. Look at this. Why would God keep you from such a beautiful tree? Her focus now is not on all the other wonderful things she can have. It's on the one thing she cannot have, and it appealed to her flesh. In Romans 13, 14, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh, to fulfill the lusts thereof. In Galatians 5, 24, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. In Ephesians 2, 3, among whom also we ha all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You're starting to see the, the direction I'm going with this. When sin entered into the world, it entered into Eve. Her thinking changed. And so one of the possibilities that she shared the fruit with her husband, is because of the, the, uh, the change in her. Now there is sin. I'm going to ask you, what is another reason, possibility, another possibility that she shared the fruit? Steve? Yep. Yep. Now, if she really loved him, what would she have done? <laughs> You're right. Not partaken in the first place, and certainly not shared it, but out of love for her. You're right. Right. Anybody else? Another idea, perhaps? Pride. Pride? In what way? 
Oh, okay. Okay. Pride, sure. Sure, possibility. Steve? True. True. And that's very true. We don't know for a fact that he was right there. It says that that uh, he, uh, I forget how I put it. We, said, we mentioned last week that, um, that with, she was with him, but we don't know exactly what that means. Was he there during the actual temptation? Doesn't say. We don't know. There is an inference that, she, that he may have been. And so we jump all over Adam. If he was there and saw this going on, why didn't he protect his wife there? Uh, letter B is she admired the pleasantness of the forbidden tree. And might I add, these are some great questions you might remember when you get to heaven to ask. Because there's some interesting questions. She admired the pleasantness of the forbidden tree. And I said she lusted with her eyes. The first time I mentioned the first thing was the lust of the flesh. She says, this is, this is good. But the second thing is she admired the pleasant. It's not only good, but wow, it's pleasant. It's pleasant. Her eyes, she's drawn her eyes. Somebody else was drawn. Joshua chapter 7 and verse 21. See if you remember this account. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. Yeah, that's right, Achan. I chuckle, and I would not be chuckling then, and I shouldn't be chuckling now because of the severity of the situation. But here Achan has taken of, of the accursed thing. He took of the, uh, the, the spoils of Jericho that God said, do not touch that. That's mine. That's the tithe. After the walls came tumbling down. Nobody's looking, apparently. Achan sees this wealth. He reaches in, takes a bar of gold, some silver, takes a Babylonish garment, and he goes and hides it under his tent. Well, God saw it, and so God chose to reveal it. And the way he did is by taking tribe after tribe after tribe in front of Moses to say, okay, it's not this one, it's not this one, it's not this one. Now, don't you suppose by the time a few of the tribes went through and Achan is seeing all this, don't you suppose Achan could have solved a whole lot of problem in time if he was simply says, I'm here. He was sweating big time. And somebody this afternoon says they were hoping that he was hoping that God would forget by the time they got to him. I don't know, but Achan made everybody pass through that, that horrible situation until he finally stood there and God said, you are the one, and here is the sentence against you. You're going to be stoned to death, as is your whole family. Um, he lusted with his eyes. She lusted with her eyes. Let her see. She noticed the forbidden tree could make one wise. It appealed to her pride. And a tree to be desired to make one wise when she saw. In James 3.15, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. In Psalm 73, verse 6, Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, Violence covered them as a garment. The tree's appeal, interestingly enough, touched all three aspects of that which is in the world. 
the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. In that first sin. Number three, after Eve sinned, how do you think she felt? Bad. In what way? You're right. In what way? Very good. Which is the answer to the first one there. Number three, the awful weight of guilt. Guilt. I'm not going to ask you if you've experienced guilt because we all have. It's awful. <laughs> it's awful. And then, to, and then to sit there waiting for sentence to be executed against you or to be found out, it's, it's miserable. Verse 7, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Which is interesting here. The eyes of them were both opened. Now, were they blind before? And were they running into things before, and now all of a sudden they could see? What's it mean that eyes of them both were opened? What do you think? I'm sorry? Okay. Jennifer, what are you going to say? What's the change? What, what makes the change? Okay, that's true. So the development of a conscience would be the effect of what? Knowledge, I'm thinking maturity. So as, as they grow, they learn. Well, guess what happened to Adam and Eve? They grew. They weren't very old. We don't know how old. <laughs> a few days. We don't know. A month, maybe? We don't know how old they are. So, so all of life is new to them. And now, in the very beginning of their life, which is the very few first few days, she's experienced a lot. She's experienced sin. And now, for the first time in the world, she's experienced guilt. Um, letter A, oh, by the way, um, and they knew that they were naked, but they didn't know it, Previously. Now you mentioned it, a toddler early on doesn't know it, but then they get to a point where they knew, do know it. But we're not talking about toddlers here. These are full-grown adults. Before she ate, totally oblivious. After she ate, now their eyes are opened. What is the difference? Now I know it's sin, I know, but, but as far as their eyes, what has happened? Why can they recognize it now and they couldn't before? You're looking just like I did after I had too many cookies. I'm telling you, that sugar rush, whoa. Any ideas? Okay. And the... True. True. Jennifer?
That's true. And the honest truth, we don't know. The Bible never answers. I personally think that they could not see their nakedness because they were clothed. But in what would they have been clothed? Righteousness. It's good. Now, in a, in a practical sense, from that righteousness, then what, what would be causing them not to see their nakedness Righteousness, yes, but the, the outworking of that would be this. Somebody said light. They were clothed in light. I didn't like that answer as well as mine. <laughs> I knew they were clothed in glory. I knew they were clothed in, clothed in a glory of righteousness is what I think. In other words, righteousness radiates. There is something radiating. There's a glory to righteousness. And I think they were covered in that glory and so they were oblivious to the fact they were sinful, sin, uh, they were out naked because of that. But as soon as she sinned, <coughs> no longer righteous. And it destroyed that covering, and now they realize we're not covered any longer. Um, letter A, nakedness became a barrier. Their sin had not made them naked. It had opened their eyes to it. They were already naked, but their sin opened their eyes to it. That which had been holy was now a barrier between themselves and God. Letter B, innocence was lost. It's hard for us to get our minds around this, but the world in which they walked until the fall was perfect. They were completely innocent. There was not one bad, as far as we know, there was not one bad thought in their mind. They had not faced, I don't think, they had faced temptation until that time. Everything was perfect. Let's not forget, they were walking and talking with God. It was incredible, the scenario there. Innocence was lost. They had gained a recognition. They were naked, but had lost their innocence in the bargain. They were now carrying the unbearable weight of guilt. And uh, letter C, the shame refused to be covered. <clears throat> their guilt caused them to try and hide their shame by making clothes. They would learn that clothing could not cover the guilt of sin. They immediately went to hide themselves, which is interesting because there's nobody else around except for God, except for God, who could see them wherever they were anyway, so it's kind of foolish when you think about it. Number four, man fled from the face of God. Verse eight, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Some interesting thoughts here. First of all, they heard the voice. What would they have previously done when they heard God's voice? Answered or run to where he was. Sure, he's in the garden. I'm going to run to the garden. i be with him. But not this time. This time, they hid themselves from, it says, from the presence of God. From the presence of God. And I thought about that. The presence of God. And we'll get to that in a minute, actually. Letter B. Letter A is God longed to fellowship with man. 
He longed to fellowship with man. God called out in the garden. Adam and Eve clearly discerned his call. Instead, fled to hide themselves among the trees. God made man for fellowship and sought to commune with him as he had previously, but sin put a stop to his intended purpose. So, so man fled from the presence of the Lord. Can you think of somebody else in the Bible that the Bible very clearly say they, said they fled from the presence of the Lord? I'm not sure. I, that's not the one I think of. Did it say that, from the presence? Nope. I'm not sure either on that one. Not previous to their sin, right? Well, I'm just wondering if, because I don't know what the spelling of that is in the Bible, correct? Oh, no. Uh, correct. Not that we know of, anyway. Not that we know of. Well, so, you know, because God sent it right out there. So yeah. good question. I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. I don't know. Could it went and hid from the presence of the Lord. Who? Jonah. Yeah, Jonah. In Jonah 1 3, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, went down to Joppa. The verse ends up and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord ran from his presence. And when you think of the presence of the Lord, and Scott, you kind of referred to this, but, but the presence. When, uh, when I was in class, I didn't worry too much if a teacher were facing the board like this. And if she got mad at somebody over here, I didn't get too, too upset. But if she turned her face right toward me, and his angry scowl right toward me, and her face is looking right toward me, that was fearful. It was the face, the countenance. And that's where I see the presence of the Lord, the face of the Lord, him being there, um, acknowledging with his countenance there. Uh, letter, um, let's see, letter B, man could no longer enjoy God's presence. Adam and Eve were now afraid of God's presence, his face, because of their guilt. That which they had enjoyed the most, his presence, was now that from which they hid. And then I like this. Man went to hide. Where did he hide? Among the trees. Now, I might have gone too far in this one, but I see an analogy here. Letter C, man hid behind a tree. Man hid behind a tree. Man fled to the trees to hide from judgment. Possibly, could this be a look when man would hide behind the tree of Calvary? the cross of Christ, which is where we run to hide, behind the cross. 
Jeremiah 23, 24, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? There's no place that they could have run but what the God can see them. And they should have known that. Letter D is, Adam, where are you? Verse 9, The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Number one, never before had God had to search for Adam. Think about that. Every time God spoke, Adam came running, but not this time. He was usually waiting for God to call, but something changed. What a sting this must have been in God's heart when the source of such enjoyment had forsaken him. And then number two, here's God's first question in the Bible. As God gave it to Adam, he gives it to us. Where are we? Adam, where are you? Are we awaiting his call, eagerly anticipating his fellowship, or are we hiding with Adam, fearful to acknowledge God's call and face? In Joshua 7, 19, And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. Adam, where are you? Is it possible that things might have changed instead of Adam running from God? If after they sinned, they would have run to God in confession? Would that have changed anything? They went and hid. They hid from God. God says, Adam, where are you? They didn't come. What if Adam... Soon as they sin, <sighs> they've gone to God and confessed their sin. Now we'll never know. Yes. Okay, Steve? Jennifer? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So it wouldn't have changed the consequences, no matter what, right? But it would have shortened the time before they experienced God's mercy. That's what I see. Number five is shame and fear. Shame and fear. Verse 10, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? Guilt mixed with shame and fear were among the first consequences of sin. Just like today. Letter A. Guilt steals our confidence with God. When you're guilty, it's difficult to face God. 1 John 3, 20 and 21, If our heart condemn us, we're guilty, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. 
if our heart condemn us not, if we're not being condemned to guilt, then we have the confidence to go before God. But if we are condemned in guilt, then we hide our face in shame and can't even lift our face to God because of guilt. Letter B, guilt makes me afraid to approach God. Job 23.15, therefore am I troubled at his presence when I consider I'm afraid of him, said Job. Letter C, guilt fears the consequences. Oh, what am I going to get now? Psalm 119, 120, my flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments, David said. No, now we get to the very famous part of the story, number six, blaming others for our sin. Blaming others for our sin. So who, why did you do this? Well, every young person knows the answer to that. It was their fault. <laughs> why did you do this? We don't ask our kids why, because they always blame other people. Verse 12 and 13, and the man said, <laughs> and the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be, to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that thou hast done? The woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So letter A, man's response to being held accountable by God. We'll look at man's response first. Let's not forget, man was the one that was told from God, you may not eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. God did not directly tell Eve. That was Adam's responsibility to tell her. So what did he do? Number one, he began by blaming God. He said, by blaming God? I thought he blamed Eve first. Not technically. He blamed God first. He said, I wouldn't have eaten the fruit if the woman you gave me hadn't tempted me. God, you gave me the woman, and if you wouldn't have given me the woman, James 1, 13 and following, Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin... When it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's right. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. He began by blaming God. He also blamed the woman. It's her fault. She offered it, and I ate it. And number three, Adam's veiled confession. His veiled confession, after all his blaming. He did slip in the fact that he had actually eaten the, that which was forbidden. Now, it's, it's your fault, God, and, and, it, and it's her fault that I, I did go ahead and eat the fruit. Job 31, 33, if I covered my transgressions as Adam, Job said, by hiding mine iniquity in my bosom. So he likens himself to Adam. Proverbs 28, 13, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Letter B. The woman's response. What'd she do? Well, number one, she blamed the serpent first. It was his fault. He led me astray and deceived me. He lied to me. How dare he? He lied to me. Now, Eve was wrong. The Bible says she was in the transgression. She was wrong. 
But how many lies have you heard in your lifetime? So many we can't count them. She had never heard a lie before. This is the first lie she'd ever heard. He deceived her. Here's what she had experienced. She had experienced all the days of her life with truth. God had spoken to her in truth. Up until now, Adam has spoken to her in truth. Everything she's heard has been in truth. Now, last week we said, we know the serpent could talk. The devil came into the serpent. The serpent could talk. We also know that she wasn't seemingly surprised by that. So here's the serpent talking to her. She didn't act surprised. Is it possible that other animals could talk at the same time? We don't know. Well, but if they could, none of the animals lied to her either. So now all of a sudden, she knows what Adam told her that God said, and that she has total reason to believe that. Now the serpent said, yes, but is that what God meant? Did God really say that? She's believed everything that's been told thus far. Why wouldn't she believe what he told her? The only reason she should not is because it violated what God had already said. So now if she would have thought it through, she'd realize there's two contradictory statements here. And so I need to, I need to believe what God said, not what you said. It's a lie. Now, number two, her confession was disingenuous and only added an add-on to her story. Her confession was disingenuous and only an add-on to her story. It's the serpent's fault. And by the way, I want to just confirm something here. I've always struggled with this. Since the Bible says that she was deceived and ate, then did she actually sin because she was deceived? Why? And you're, I believe you're right. Why? Okay. Now, there's a Bible word that describes what you just said. Were you, Jennifer? Okay. Exactly what it is. And what's that called? The Bible calls that a transgression. She was in the transgression. Okay, so you heard what God said. Now she heard the deceit of the evil one. Now I've got to make a choice. Do I choose to believe what God said or what the devil said? And choosing to believe anybody else over what God says is a sin. So even though she was deceived, it was a sin because she chose the deceit over what God had said earlier. And that, in my mind, helped settle it. So she did, the Bible says she, didn't, she was in the transgression. Um, in 2 Corinthians 11.3, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. 1 Timothy 2.14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, was in the 
transgression. The woman being deceived was in the transgression. She actually sinned. Number seven, God's reckoning and sentencing. All right, now God is going to sentence them. Letter A, God judged the serpent. He starts with the serpent. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It sounds like part of the curse is the fact he took the serpent and put him in the dirt. It sounds like that's a change. Like previous to this, the serpent was not in the dirt. I've had a, had a conjecture before that the serpent may have had legs previous to this, and that's possible. We do know that a cobra can come way up high and, uh, and, <laughs> and look right in the eye. Now, so we don't know exactly how it was, but the curse is the snake is going to be in the dirt, going to be eating dust, and um, he's cursed above all other animals. And so, number one... The serpent was cursed. The serpent was cursed. Somebody said this afternoon, I, they feel kind of sorry for the snakes because of what he did. But now, it's I think we'll get to this, but, but part of the serpent's curse is to be hated and despised, which is why most people, most normal people, <laughs> are repulsed by snakes. When they, when, they, when they suppress, especially when they surprise you, they slither by. Um, letter A, forced to crawl in the dust. They're forced to crawl in the dust. Though all animals would feel the effect of the fall, the serpent would face a curse above all the rest, despised by all as it writhes on the ground. Such would be the fate of the devil, who used the serpent as his cover. The devil would go through eternity as a despised being writhing in sin and hate. Micah 7, 17 says, They shall lick the dust like a serpent. And letter, e, letter B is enmity, is the blank, enmity between the serpent and the woman. The second part of the curse is he puts enmity between the serpent and the woman. Letter I, enmity means hostility or hatred. So between the serpent and the woman is this barrier of hatred, hostility. The curse would place a barrier of hatred between the seed of the woman and that of the devil, the devil's seed or sinners. Though man loves the allurements placed in front of us to tempt us, he hates the evil one himself, knowing that he holds mankind in disgust and hatred. Letter I.I. The ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy is Jesus, the seed of the woman. Matthew 123, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, being interpreted is God with us. The woman's seed would bruise the serpent's head. The serpent would bruise the woman's seed. This is a prophecy to Satan's attack against the people of God. Through the centuries, the devil has chased and sought to destroy faithful followers of God. 
he will ultimately bruise the heel of the woman's seed, Jesus Christ, as he died on the cross. However, the final story will be fulfilled as the woman's seed bruises the serpent's head, which he did as he gave his life for man, paying sin's debt and destroying Satan's power. Galatians 3.19, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. 1 John 3.8, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Galatians 4.4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And then Revelation 12, 13, And when the dragon saw that he was cast under the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Impossible. Impossible. Dan? I've not looked up the word, so I don't know. I'll have to do that. Look up the word, see what the word means. Letter B, God judged the woman. Verse 16, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And there's not a mother in here who has not experienced the first part of the curse. You understand the concept. Number one, Great pains in childbirth. Great pains in childbirth. And it's interesting because the verse says, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow in conception. I looked it up to see. This, verse, this word I did look up. The word sorrow here does not mean you know, weeping your eyes, weeping sorrow. It's, it's tied to pain. It's tied to... Um, various kinds of pain, for instance, first of all, letter A, sorrow in physical pain. A woman will suffer through pains of pregnancy, like morning sickness, back pains, etc., along with the severe pains of the childbirth itself. In Isaiah 21.3, therefore are my loins filled with pain, pangs have taken hold upon me as the pangs of a woman that travaileth. There's also, letter B, sorrow in emotional pain. Pain, sorrow in emotional pain. Often hormonal changes bring distress and discouragement. Sometimes depression and despair. Psalm 48, verse 6, fear took hold upon them there and pain. He likens the fear and the pain to a woman in travail. Interesting. He goes to the emotional pain. Number two is submission to her husband. So the second part of the curse of the woman is submission to her husband. We'll describe that a little bit here. The first part is pain and childbirth, and the second is submission to her husband. So it's interesting that the curse on the woman had to do with family issues, children and husband. 
Letter A, a wife will only find complete satisfaction in serving her husband. God placed in the woman's nature to find her ultimate fulfillment in serving her husband. Women's lib, move, women's lib movement was an overreaction to the abuses that women faced from selfish, non-caring, jerk husbands. I added the word jerk there. Letter B, the wife will be under the husband's authority. The word rule literally means to have dominion over or power over. So the, the literal meaning is the husband will have dominion or power over the woman, the wife. When Eve took on the devil on her own, even though she had been created to be Adam's helpmeet, God strengthened her accountability to her husband. So he ramped up Adam's authority over her when she stepped out on her own with the devil. 1 Corinthians 11.3, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Ephesians 5.22 and following, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. 1 Peter 3.1, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. So over and over in the Bible, God reinforces this concept. He started back in Genesis, and he reinforces this concept of the husband being over the wife. Why? Now, I don't know the answer. I'm asking you. Why do you think? Okay. Okay, why does he repeat it so often? Uh, okay. All right, can we forget? Yeah. Do you think it's important to God? Now, the part I think is important to God is the fact that we go into Ephesians 5, and he talks about um, that Christ is the head of the church. The husband is the head of the wife. In other words, it's all, it's all a spiritual model. It's a picture. A picture of our submission to God. So the wife is to submit to the husband to picture submission to God himself. Now, I'll, I've got to admit, there's quite a bit here packaged up in this principle of wives submitting to husbands. He talks quite a bit about it. He doesn't say that much to husbands. But I'll tell you this. In Ephesians 5.25, here's what he tells the husband. After, after giving all this long dissertation to the wife, you need to do all this, all this. Here's what he says to the husband. <clears throat> be Christ in the home. Be perfect. Steve? Yeah. Yeah. All men have to be as Christ. It means you have to be perfect. That's all you have to do. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So any love less than that is not good enough. 
So, so you, say, you say, wives, it's really tough submitting to that guy. He's just really obnoxious, okay? But look what the husband has to do. The husband has to be Christ in the home. And you suppose that would solve any problems if the husband were Christ? <laughs> I think so, too. I think so, too. We're going to quit there. We're going to stop there and put a, put a pin in it because that's where we got to this afternoon. But it's a good discussion. Thank you for that. And uh, thank God for the truths that we learn in the foundational book of the Bible, Genesis. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love and goodness and blessing. And thank you for meeting with us tonight. And thank you for this, this good discussion that we've had. And Lord, uh, you have left so many questions unanswered in the Bible. And that excites me because it gives us such a desire to be with you and, and, and to just, just be in your presence. I pray, Lord, that you might continue to lead us and, and, and to direct us and to help us to mature in you. And we'll thank you for it. For we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.